This morning we're in Acts 25. The sermon title is, You're Crazy. Yes, I'm talking about me. If you are on Facebook, you saw those questions, yes. But I am talking about you. And if you're not crazy, you ought to be. Little preview, little foreshadowing. We'll get there, though. Don't, don't worry about that yet. Let's, let's recap this. We're, we have, uh, and I'm going to go all the way back, but let's bring in last Sunday a little bit. Uh, Paul had his second trial before the Sanhedrin uh, with Felix as governor. Uh, he, he's been moved to Caesarea. Um, Felix calls the Sanhedrin up. Y'all got accusations. Come on up. Bring them. And he has the second trial in front of the Sanhedrin in chapter uh, 24. Um, no verdict at the end of that trial, but it's clear he's innocent. They will say, uh, the, the, uh, the, the tribune, uh, Lysias Claudius, who, who was the one who imprisoned Paul to begin with, he's going to say in his letter he's innocent. Felix is going to say once or twice he's innocent. Festus, the next governor, is going to say once or twice that Paul's innocent. Everybody knows Paul's innocent, and yet he's still in jail. Felix, in fact, as we saw last week, keeps him in jail uh, for two years, hoping that Paul will bribe him. That's his whole purpose in keeping him. Not about his innocence or guilt. It's maybe he'll bribe me and I'll let him go. Festus, uh, Felix is recalled by Rome because he wasn't that great. Festus is the next governor. He comes along in uh, the middle of page, uh, middle of chapter 25. He reopens the case. He's got this prisoner that he kind of already knows is innocent, but he can't let him go. Uh, because he wants to make the Jews happy as well. And in chapter, way back in chapter 23, we remember, verse 11, Jesus has told Paul to have courage. The Lord stood by him and said, Have courage, for as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. Two little reminders about that verse. He was told to have courage. But y'all, having courage for two years is hard. Two years he sat in prison. But notice, there is no time limit given by Jesus on how long he should have courage. Have courage until you don't anymore. Have courage for a couple of weeks, but then give up on me. Have courage for a year or so, but then it's okay to think that I've left you. There is no time limit on the command to have courage. To Paul, there's no time limit on the command to have courage to us. Courage for two years is hard, but there's no time limit. We see that have courage in uh, 23.11. We also see, we talked about, if you remember, have courage because it is necessary for you to testify in Rome. It is a divine necessity. Remember, we've talked about that little, that little verb in Greek, dei, a couple of times. It is God ordained that this will happen. It is necessary because God said it is a necessity that this will happen. Have courage. For two years, you're supposed to have courage, Paul, at least, and it's still not over. It is necessary. It is a promise. It is a guarantee that this is what will happen. Waiting on a promise for two years is hard. But, oh man, if this was a black church, y'all would have answered me already. There's no time limit. It's hard. It's hard to wait on God's promises. Abraham wasn't good at waiting on God's promises, was he? He had to wait 25 years for the promise, but somewhere around year 7-ish, 10-ish, he got tired of waiting and took things into his own hands. And it didn't work out well. Waiting on the promise is never easy, yet there is no time limit to have courage Wait on the promise. 
Well, just so I don't get stuck preaching two sermons this morning, we're going to move on. But I wanted to remind you of that because it is still not over for Paul in Caesarea, really in this Jerusalem issue. So we come to chapter 25, verse 13. That's where we left off last week after he has appealed to Caesar. He has given uh, his second uh, uh, testimony uh, before the Sanhedrin. He, he uh, has been told, you could have you you, you, you gone free, but you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. And we pick up in verse 13 of chapter 25. Here we've got a new audience for him to speak to. Several days later, several days after that meeting, second meeting with the Sanhedrin when he appeals to Caesar, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived in Caesarea and paid a courtesy call to Festus. Let's talk about Agrippa and Bernice for just a second. This is Herod Agrippa. This is the son of the Agrippa that killed James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church in Jerusalem. This is the great-grandson of the Agrippa that killed all the firstborn males to and under in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. Quite the family tree here for King Agrippa. Bernice is his sister. There were Roman rumors that their relationship was more than just brother and sister. Uh, that was probably a lie just to uh, badmouth people. I know we've never heard of anything like that happening, but occasionally it does. But nonetheless, they had a very close relationship here, and that's who's coming to visit. He is the king, the, the Jewish king appointed by Rome of uh, the, the, the area of Judea, of the area of the Jews, and his main authority is he gets to appoint the high priest, who at this point is Ananias, who sits on the Sanhedrin and is trying to get Paul killed. All sorts of political intrigue here. But that's who Herod and Agrippa are. They arrived in Caesarea, and they paid a courtesy call on Festus. Since they were staying there several days, Festus presented, I'm sorry, I picked up in verse 14. Since they were staying there several days, Festus presented Paul's case to the king, saying, There's a man who is left, uh, who is left as a prisoner by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews presented their case and asked uh, that he be condemned. I answered them that this is not the Roman custom to give someone up before the accused faces the accusers and has an opportunity for a defense against the charges. So when they had assembled here, I did not delay. The next day I took my seat at the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought in. The accusers stood up, brought no charge against him of the evils I was expecting. You hear that echo of innocence there? Instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and a, about a certain Jesus, a, a dead man Paul claimed to be alive. Since I was at a loss in a dispute over such things, I asked him if he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held for trial by the emperor, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I could send him to Caesar. Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow you will hear him. Eh, Festus is playing Agrippa a little bit. He, he knows Agrippa is gonna have, would have had that reaction. He, he tells a story. If you, you go back, you read, you can find a couple of the details here and there that uh, Festus exaggerated a little bit his involvement. He played, downplayed some other things. He's really wanting uh, Agrippa to, to get involved with this. And we're going to see why here in a couple of minutes as we read on. But he wants him involved because he doesn't know what to do. Let's keep reading. Verse 22. Verse 23, rather. So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men of the city. When Festus gave the command, Paul was brought in. Then Festus said, King Agrippa and all men present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has appealed to me concerning him, both in Jerusalem and here shouting that he should not live any longer. I found that he had not done anything deserving of death. He's innocent, y'all. But when he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to send him. 
I have nothing to def- definite. Here's the kicker. Here's why he wants Agrippa's help right here, verse 26. I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him, my Lord Caesar, their Lord. Therefore, I've brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after this examination is over, I may have something to write. For it seems unreasonable to me to send a prisoner without indicating the charges against him. So this is where Agrippa is. I mean, this is where Festus is. I've got this criminal, criminal in in quotes, who hasn't done anything, certainly hasn't done anything worthy of a Roman uh, uh, conviction and uh, uh, execution, uh, 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 a sentence of execution, but he's appealed to Caesar. Therefore, he can't do anything. It is completely out of his hands now. Paul has made a statement that they can't take back at this point. So, Festus is wondering, what do I put in this letter that I've got to send to Caesar? Dear Caesar, here's a criminal who hasn't done anything. So he's not a criminal, he's innocent. Please tell him he's innocent. Uh, Thanks, Festus. He's going to look like a fool. And and, and Caesar's going to read that letter and say, okay, it's time to bring Festus home. He's been in the desert too long. Festus knows this. There's just no way that he's going to be able to write a letter to the, to the emperor about this. So he's, he's got Agrippa here, Agrippa, who was actually a very devout Jew in, in many, many ways, understood the law, knew the Old Testament. Uh, I mean, Paul's going to call him on some things here because he knows Agrippa, and, and Agrippa was known for his knowledge of his, of his own faith. So He's thinking, oh, please, please, Agrippa, help me write this letter so that it looks like there's some reason I actually sent this guy to Caesar. Well, we move on now. We, that this new audience gets some of the same message. Paul has stayed on track. Let's, let's see, though, as we read this, some differences between his previous defenses. Remember, in front of the Sanhedrin the first time, he said, he made smart aleck comments to the chief priest and then got them to fight each other over the resurrection, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It wasn't, wasn't his finest moment. Then when he was before the, the uh, Sanhedrin a second time, um, he mentioned briefly, talked about the resurrection and uh, the way, but just never got to the gospel presentation, never really explained why he was there. This time, though, Paul's ready, and he's had some time to, I think, polish his speech. So let's look at Paul's message here. Chapter 26, verses 1 through 23. Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and began his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa. I am to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially since you are very knowledgeable about all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul knew, Agrippa knew this stuff. So he, he, he wasn't talking to somebody like Festus or Felix that didn't have a clue. He, Agrippa knows. Paul continues, chapter uh, verse 4. All the Jews know my way of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own people and in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors, the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King, uh, night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In fact, I myself was convinced that it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. I actually did this in Jerusalem, and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority uh, for that from the chief priests. When they were put to death, I was in agreement against them. In all the synagogues, I often punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. Since I was terribly enraged at them, I pursued them even to foreign cities. 
I was traveling to Damascus under these circumstances with authority and a commission from the chief priests. King Agrippa, while on the road at midday, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he adds this note that he hadn't added before in his testimony, this being the third time now in Acts he's told this story. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Well, Paul's realizing that not only in Dama- on the way to Damascus was he kicking against the goads, he's beginning to realize in Jerusalem he's beginning to, He's been kicking against the goads as well. The, the goad that would prompt you, prompt a, a cow, an ox, to move forward. It was a cattle prod. Poke, poke, goad, goad. And he'd move on. And Paul and, and the more belligerent oxen would kick against it. Stop poking me. And that's what Paul was doing on his, Saul was doing on his way to Damascus. That's what Paul has been doing for a while now. So, we add this little note and we hear Paul beginning to break toward obedience. Verse 15, I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles Do we hear it still, the promise, I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles? He had the promise 20 years earlier. Have courage. It is a necessity that you go to the Gentiles. He still has the promise. Verse 17, or verse 18, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Briefly, he knows the, 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 the sending, the, the commission. Look at verse 17. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, to both groups, to open their eyes. To turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. The Jews that heard that would not have liked that. They would have said, we're, in, we're not in darkness. We're Jews. We're in the light. And yet Paul knows that his commission is to take the gospel to them. That's what he does in every city, right? To the Jew first, then to the Greek. He goes to the synagogue. He stays there as long as they will let him. And then he goes to the Gentiles in the city the way God intended it. And he will rescue them, rescue him, God says. Verse 19, Paul continues. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem, and in all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day I have had help from God, and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul is getting his message straight, finally. For the first time on this trip to Jerusalem, Paul has finally shared the gospel for the first time recorded. He has called the people who are listening to repent and shared of the resurrection of Jesus, who he's been talking about, who he has been commissioned to talk about. And at this point, if you remember all the people that came in, with, so the next day Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and entered the auditorium with the military commanders and prominent men of the city, Paul is now standing in front of a mixed group of Jews, but primarily Gentiles, where he's supposed to be, all along, presenting the gospel. That was Paul's message. And let's see how lost people respond. Verse 24. 
As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You are out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. The insanity of our message. Folks, you're crazy. It's what the world says. It's what the world says to believers. Festus says that it's his studying. Look at the verse again. As he was saying these things in his defense, Festus exclaimed in a loud voice, You're out of your mind, Paul. Too much study is driving you mad. That is the the uneducated way of attacking the educated. You just spent too much time in books that you're nuts now. Now you are just nuts. This is not the craziest thing Paul would say. All right, this message, as wonderful as it is, is outside the realm of Gentile, pagan, Roman possibility as it is. This is not the craziest thing Paul would say. Paul would go on to say numerous other things. For example, Paul would say in Philippians 3 to count everything as loss or garbage. Carol, can we move forward on those slides, please, ma'am? One more, please. There we go. Paul would say, count everything as loss and garbage. He would, first, count everything as loss was an accounting term. I'm going to add up all of my stuff, everything that I have, and and, and I'm going to compare it to God, and it all adds up to zero. My stuff adds up to zero. It's nothing. Not only do I count it as an accounting loss, I count it as garbage, trash, sewage, yuck. Everything that I have is nothing compared to Christ. He's going to say in Philippians 1 that to die is to gain. Who believes that, Paul? Who believes that dying is a gain? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Nobody says dying is a good thing, Paul, and here you are saying that it is a gain. He's going to go on in 2 Corinthians 4 and call trials a light and momentary affliction. You mean the beatings, Paul? You mean being left for dead, Paul? You mean the shipwrecks, Paul? You mean probably either being beheaded or killed by animals at some point in the future, Paul? You're going to call all those things light and momentary afflictions? Paul, you're crazy. And Paul is going to own the crazy. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If I'm crazy, great. I'm going to be crazy for God. It doesn't matter if people call me crazy. David said the same thing. His wife told him at some point that his dancing before the Lord was undignified. And he know what he said? Yes, dear. No, he said, I can be more undignified than this. You ain't seen undignified when it comes to worship. Own the crazy is what Paul does. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4 verse 4, they are surprised, they are amazed, they're blown away. They think you're nuts because you don't join them in wild living. You don't join them in what they are doing. Paul owned the crazy. When Festus says you're crazy, Paul says, yep, sure am, and I'm okay with it. What would it look like if we owned the crazy? Believers, if we owned the crazy, what would that look like? Let's look back at Paul's message. Start at verse 4 of chapter 26. If we owned the crazy, we would give up a former life like Paul did. All the Jews know my former life, but I gave it up. That's who I was. That's not who I am. If we own the crazy, we give up a former life. If we own the crazy, verse 5 tells us we give up the power. I was a Pharisee, the strictest sect, the one who ran the synagogues. I was it. I was the bomb. I was top notch. I was everything. And I gave it up. If we own the crazy, we give up the power. If we own the crazy, we would believe the Bible, like in verse 6. And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors. If we own the crazy, we believe what God said before we got here. If we own the crazy, we believe what the Bible says. Verse 7, if we own the crazy, we would serve a higher being. 
the promise our 12 tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him. Serve who? Serve God, the one we can't see, the God who we can't feel or touch or hear. If we own the crazy, that's who we would serve, not ourselves. If we own the crazy, we would believe the resurrection. Why, King Agrippa, verse 8, I'm being accused by the Jews because of this hope. What hope? The hope of the promise of a resurrection. We would believe in that resurrection. We would believe in Jesus' resurrection, therefore believe in our own someday. If we own the crazy, we could be so changed as to be nearly unrecognizable. Verses 9 through 11. Paul says, I was convinced that it was necessary. Interesting, he would say it was necessary. He uses that divine necessity, that word dei. I was convinced that God wanted me to do this. I was convinced that God was telling me to persecute Christians. And then he comes along and says, it's, that's not what's necessary. It's necessary that you're crazy. It's necessary that you follow me when everybody else will tell you that you shouldn't. I was convinced it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 10, I actually did this in Jerusalem and I locked up many of the saints in prison since I had received authority for that. When they were put to death, I was in agreement in all the synagogues. I punished them and tried to make them blaspheme. That is the man who is now telling people about Jesus. He was trying to make, through the Holy Spirit, the very people that just a few years before he had persecuted and voted for to be killed. So when we embrace the crazy, when we own the crazy, we will be so changed as to be nearly unrecognizable. When we own the crazy, we will see the unseeable. In verse 12, I was traveling to Damascus while on the road at midday. I saw a light. The folks around me heard something, saw something, didn't hear exactly what I hear, heard, didn't see exactly what I saw, but they know it happened. We will see the unseeable when we own the crazy. When we own the crazy, we will hear the unhearable. Verses 14 through 18, we fell to the ground and I heard a voice speaking to me in Aramaic. This is your call. I'm paraphrasing and shortening it just a little bit. This is your call. We will hear the unhearable. Did everybody hear that call? No. Was everybody's call the same as Paul's? No. But he heard his call we will hear the unhearable when we embrace when we own the crazy we will obey the invisible verse 19 so then king agrippa i was not disobedient to the heavenly vision paul you're nuts you believed a heavenly vision maybe you were just drunk Maybe the heat got to you. It's a desert road, you know, to Damascus. Paul says, no, 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 that was my God standing before me. And I know it was. And I had this vision. And I saw things. And I know things. And now you can't see it. But that doesn't mean it happened. When we own the crazy, we will obey the vision that God has given us for whatever is coming next. We will obey the invisible. When we own the crazy, we would share our beliefs. Verse 20, instead, I went to Damascus and instead of persecuting, I preached. Instead of uh, killing, I proclaimed to those in Jerusalem and all the region of Judea and to the Gentiles that they should repent. We will share our beliefs and if we own the crazy, we will repent of our sins. That is the message that he preached, that they should repent and turn to God. That is the message of the cross. That is the message of salvation. That is the gospel that we share. Repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus. If we own the crazy, that is what we will do and that is what we will share and if we own the crazy we will try to be better we will try to do better the end of verse 20 to do works worthy of repentance that is what we will do if we will own the crazy if we own the crazy we will not fear death verse 21 for this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me now I know Paul has made a couple of missteps along the way here. And he has not 
approached death the way he should have a couple of times. But overall, in general, in the grand scheme, Paul has looked at death and and said, I have no fear of what they might do to me for the gospel. And if we own the crazy, we will do the same thing. And that doesn't make sense to the world that we would not be afraid of death. But why would we? Because to live is Christ and to die is gain. You're crazy. We would not fear death. We would, if we own the crazy, we would trust outside of ourselves. That's why we would be fine dying. Verse 22, to this very day I have had help from God and I stand and testify to both small and great saying that there is none other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place. To this very day, I had help from God. If we own the crazy, we will trust God to get us through to the other side of whatever crazy looks like. We will be fine with the fact that the world will call us crazy because we will trust somebody that we can't see and can't hear who is invisible, but we know outside of ourselves will take us through. If we own the crazy, we would believe that this was the plan all along. Verse 23, the Messiah must suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to our Gentiles. We believe this is the plan that Jesus must suffer. This was God's working all along. It was no shock when Jesus went to the cross. It was no detour when Jesus went to the cross. It is exactly what God wanted to do to his son to save his people. That was the plan all along. And if we own the crazy, we'll believe that plan. If we own the crazy, we hold to the exclusive exclusivity of the gospel. Again, verse 23, as the first to rise from the dead, the first, the only one to rise from the dead for our sins. The gospel is exclusive. Christianity is exclusive. We don't believe there are many paths to God. We believe there is one path to God. We believe that you must go through Jesus Christ in order to have a relationship with God. Christians, you're crazy that you would believe that. How can that be? Why could that be? I don't know why or how, but I know that's what Scripture says. And Scripture says there is one path. And if we own the crazy, we hold to that. If we own the crazy, we would claim the light in a dark world. How many people like to be told, you're living in darkness, son. You're living in darkness, girl. You are li- it, it, you're, you, I have the light, you don't. Nobody, but if we own the crazy, that is what we will do. Adoniram Judson went to India in 1812, one of the earliest missionaries. 1812, he went to India. William Carey later told Andrew Fuller, before leaving for India, I will go, this is his quote, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. He knew where he was going. He knew what was coming. And it took him seven years in India to see his first convert. William Carey was crazy. C.T. Studd was the, well, he was the stud. It's just, a, it's just the way it is, of British athletics in the 1880s. He had a $2.8 million fortune that he gave away so he could go to China as a missionary in 1885. C.T., why would you give that up? Because he was crazy. He was beside himself, Paul would say, for God. William Borden, Borden Milk, Sweet and condensed was the first thing he made, and that is manna from heaven. That's what got him rich. He gave away his entire fortune to go to the mission field, and he died six months after he got there in 1913. William Borden, you're crazy. You're crazy that you would do that. Die for the gospel? You were young. He was in his late 20s when he did that. You were crazy. He owned it. Dr. Bill Wallace, I shared this one on Facebook. Southern Baptist medical missionary in 1951 was arrested in China after World War II and then all the upheaval of the communist revolution in China. He stayed running the hospital there, having moved back and forth in various places, trying to get away from persecution. When he was arrested, he told the people, that his co-workers, go on back and take care of the hospital. I am ready to give my life if necessary and he did he died in prison because of his conviction because of his calling dr bill wallace was crazy jim elliott would go to a a a tribe in 
Costa Rica, uh, Ecuador, thank you, in Ecuador, but he would say before he left, he would write in his, journals, his journal, years before, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He would write, it's not crazy to do this, and yet the world would say, Jim, you are crazy in the prime of life in your late 20s to give up your life for this tribe in Ecuador. The Soviet Union's official policy in the 80s was that belief in God is considered a delusion. It is crazy for you to believe in God. You're crazy. You are crazy. Believers, we have got to own the crazy. That's who we are. And y'all are looking at me right now like I'm nuts. What did he take this morning? That's who we are. We're crazy. Folks, none of that makes sense. None of it. Dying for the gospel. Foreign countries taking a spear. They're, they're, I couldn't remember her name, so I couldn't look her up. In uh, 1800s, a, another uh, a, a young lady, Baptist missionary, it wasn't Lottie Moon, it was probably uh, a little before her, went on the mission field. She died on the boat over. She never made it. That's crazy. She wasted her life. Excuse me? She wasted her life doing what God told her to do? Never. Folks, let them call us crazy. Let them call us nuts. It's all right. They called Jesus worse and did worse to him. And then, after this comment, after he was told he was crazy, we keep reading, and we see what we're going to experience as believers, the frustration of rejection. Verse 25, Paul replied, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I'm not crazy. I'm not. On the contrary, I'm speaking words of truth and good judgment. He looked nuts. He sounded nuts. The things he was saying didn't make sense, yet he was clear as a bell. His mind was sharp as ever. For the king knows these matters, he points to Agrippa, and I can speak boldly to him, for I am convinced that none of these things has escaped his notice, since this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. He knew. He knew he believed. And Agrippa waffles. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? <laughs> Paul retorts back, I wish before God, replied Paul, that whether easily or with difficulty, not only you but all who listen to me today might become as I am, Chink -chink -chink -chink, except for these chains. I wish you were all believers. Paul's back on task. Paul is back on message. Paul has no problem being called crazy. The king, the governor, Bernice, and those sitting with him, verse 30, and got up. Verse 31, and when they had left, they talked with each other and said, this man is not doing anything to deserve death or imprisonment. This is like the fourth time he's been, uh, it's been stated that he is innocent. Verse 32, Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been released if he had not appealed to Caesar. The, the frustration of rejection... Agrippa did believe the prophets. He knew the stories of Jesus. He, he had been around all this time. He, he knew what had gone on. He knew what his daddy did. He knew what his great-grandpa did. He, he knew all of that history. He knew it was all true. Uh, he knew that the Jews tried to cover up the resurrection. He would have never said that, but he, he knew the stories of that. He was not blind to any of this. But when... Festus says, Paul, you're crazy, that puts Agrippa in a bad spot. If Agrippa sits there and says, 
you know what, Paul, what you say makes sense. What's Festus going to think? This happens all the time. People are influenced by those they're around. You get this feeling with Agrippa that he almost believed. He was almost there. It's almost a nervous laugh. Oh, you're, you're going you're to convince me so quickly, Paul? I don't, I don't think so. And he refuses. This, this text, this passage has a message for us today, has something for us to take away. The takeaway this morning, you're crazy. Or you better be, you ought to be, crazy should be our M.O. I'm not talking about running around saying stupid things, you know, foolish things. There's, there's plenty of Christian crazy out there. Just watch some, watch some TV. There's, there, there's plenty of that. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about making grand, ridiculous statements, hey, send me $100, I'll send you this vial of water that I blessed, and it'll cure everything you've got, and all, no, I, that's crazy, that is really crazy, because that ain't in the scripture, but when the world calls us crazy for believing scripture, rejoice, they did much worse to Jesus, my question to you, believer, you're crazy, or you, or you, or you better be, I'm going to ask you, is there enough evidence to have you committed? Are you certifiable? Will people look at you and go, oh, that's that crazy Christian. That's, that's, that, that, that's crazy Michael. He's always talking about Jesus. He's always depending on God. He's, oh, I just can't, I cannot wrap my head. There's got, that boy's got to be nuts. Are they saying about that about me? Sadly, no. Are they saying it about you? Man, they're crazy. Can't get around those people from First Baptist Sulphur without hearing about what Jesus is doing in their lives. I'm not going to point her out, and I'm going to look at her, but there is someone right now who has been told recently, what's different about you? You are always talking about what Jesus is doing in your life. Said, well, how can I help it? He's doing it. You know what they're saying behind her back? It's okay. Yay. They see it, they get it, they understand, even if they don't comprehend, they know that I'm different. Folks, if you believe what you claim to believe, the world will think you're crazy. If you truly believe this book, the world will think you're crazy. You can't get away from it. You can't get out of it. They won't say, well, I respect his beliefs. No, they'll think you're nuts. Worse yet, or maybe more profoundly, if you live what you claim to believe, the world will think you're crazy. They'll, they'll, they'll almost give you, the, give you a pass for believing it. Well, people believe all sorts of weird things. You know, there, there are people who believe we landed on the moon. There are people who believe the world is round. You know. I believe both of those things, by the way. That's an example of what's out there. They're, they're okay with the belief. Just don't act like it. Don't, don't live like you believe what you claim to believe. They'll give you the, the, the inch of believing what you claim to believe. Don't take the mile of acting what you claim to believe. And yet that is exactly what we are told to do. And here's the truth of the matter. The crazy will turn many people away. It's just the truth. People will look at you and say, you're crazy, and you'll lose friendships, you'll lose family members, and they will not come to Jesus because they think you're crazy. But you know what? That's not on you. That's on them. But you know what? The crazy will intrigue many people. I think Agrippa was intrigued. Agrippa didn't think Paul was crazy. Agrippa knew the prophets. 
Agrippa knew the stories. Agrippa had seen the evidence. He knew the tomb was empty. He knew the Jews, that the disciples did not take that body. He knew what happened. He knew the soldiers were bribed. He knew those things about the stories. And Agrippa was not scared by the crazy. He was scared by the fact that Festus might think he was crazy too. Don't hide your crazy. Own it. Own your crazy. You know what's really crazy is the belief that some have that this world is the best it could be. Do you realize some people live like this world is the only heaven they'll know? That's sad. All the pain all the disease, all the turmoil, all the hurt. This is the best. This earth is the only heaven lost people will ever know. This earth is the only hell saved people will ever know. The idea that this could be the best, that's crazy. And we have the message for them that this is not the best. This is not God's design. We have a hope. God's design, God's perfect plan was ruined by sin. And that sin came about when we decided we had a better plan than God. Does that sound crazy to anybody? We've got a better plan than God? Does it maybe look a little crazy for Paul to have a better plan to go to Jerusalem than go to Rome? It's crazy that we would think we have a better idea than God, and yet we do, and we did, and we mess up his design. We cause brokenness in the world by our sin. And we experience that brokenness daily. And we think we can fix the brokenness. We think we have the power to overcome it. We're the ones that caused it. Seems a little crazy to me to think that we're the ones that can fix it. Because we try. Drugs, alcohol, meditation, uh, self-help, whatever. Whatever. And it never fixes it, and yet we keep trying. Craziness has been defined as doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. That is a, an idea of crazy, maybe not the only one, but that's what we do with our brokenness. When the only fix for the brokenness is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're crazy, Michael. Really? Just, just Jesus living a sinful life, a sinless? No, no heresy here living a sinless life, dying on the cross, innocent for my sin, my punishment, rising from the grave three days later, coming back, resurrection, going home to the Father to come back and get me someday. Really, that is the fix, Michael? That sounds crazy. And yet that's the fix. You know what? Wanna know what's even crazier about it? You don't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, you can't do anything to earn that salvation. You merely repent of your sins and believe. Well, that sounds like you're doing, Michael. No, it's not. It, it, it's not that you start doing good things to get your salvation. It's your admission, hey, this direction is sinful. This direction is away from God. I recognize that. I realize that. I'm not going to go that direction anymore. I'm going to turn and go to God. I didn't do good things to get my salvation. I just recognized that I couldn't do good things to get my salvation and that bad things are keeping me from. Sin is keeping me from salvation. So I repent of that sin and I believe. Michael, belief is a work. No, Mike, uh, Michael, belief is not a work. Belief is an understanding of what has already been, been done. The work has already been done for me. And so I believe that. And I experience salvation. Michael, you're crazy. You know what? If I hadn't experienced, I'd agreed with you. If I had not known the salvation that I'm talking about, I would agree with you. But I know what Jesus does in a heart that turns to him. Not only have I seen it in my own life, I've seen it in countless others. I see what people were before Jesus and what they were after Jesus. And then I see people like me 
who got saved at a young age where I can't point to a were and an is. Because, you know, at nine, what was my were? Really? So, but I point to what God saved me from because of my faith in Jesus. I know the power of the gospel to save. I know the power of the gospel to lead me to recover and pursue God's design. As crazy as that sounds, we can get back to what God wanted. We're, we're never going to get all the way there. We're never getting back to Eden yet, uh, y'all, not in this life. But we will. Some of our D groups have already read Revelation. Lacey quoted it in her prayer. We will. We get there. Michael, you're going to place your hope in a, in a, in a, in a, in a someday? That's crazy. No, baby, that's faith. That's what Jesus has done for me. And he can do for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that, that, that the wisdom of God is foolishness in the eyes of man. Thank you that what we say is crazy is what you say must be. What you say is. And Lord, we rejoice in the crazy. We embrace the crazy. We own the crazy of a life that lives for Jesus when the rest of the world says, you're crazy. We're okay with that. God, I pray this morning that there's somebody here that will own the crazy, a believer who will say, I don't care anymore what the world says. I'm crazy. I'm crazy for the gospel. I'm crazy for Jesus. If it doesn't look right to the rest of the world, that's okay. I'm not going to hide it anymore. I pray for that believer who will make that change this morning. This morning, I pray for the unbeliever who's listening, who says, but, but Michael, the gospel is crazy. Can it be that easy? Really? Just repent, admit I'm a sinner, and trust Jesus? It's that sin. Michael, that's crazy. Yeah, it is. Come, come join the nuthouse. Embrace the crazy. Own the crazy of a free gospel. And see what God can do in your life. Lord Jesus, thank you for your crazy sacrifice. You would give your life. You would go through all of that for us, for our salvation and for God's glory. Lord, may we live a life that Cause a life of obedience that causes the world to say, you're crazy. And like Paul, we can say to the world, absolutely, if, if I'm crazy, if I'm beside myself, it's for God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.